I say Resurrection Sunday, what do you think about? Think about Jesus. So Geneva and I are thrilled to be here with you today. As Rhonda said, I remember back when it was just J.Y., Sue, and Rhonda. And Rhonda was so small singing in church that they had to stand her on a, on a little stool so that everybody could see her over the pulpit. So she's been around a few years, but uh, she referred to him as friend. But I really refer to the Sloan family as my family because they are. Well, it's indeed a pleasure to be here with you today, and I thank so much Pastor Tim for giving us the invitation, and Geneva and I are so happy to be here. Uh, she asked me on the way down, she said, now when's the last time you were at this church? And I said, you know, I don't remember ever having the privilege to be here, but you know, there's always a first time and it's a good time. And I can think of no better time to be here than Resurrection Sunday in 2023. And uh, we have been praying for Pastor Tim, I've been keeping up with him since uh, his fall, and he actually sent me a note right after that, and I sent out a prayer request uh, quite often, and he's been on that prayer request list ever since he fall, uh, has fallen, and uh, we're continuing to pray for him, and I, he said he is hoping to be here this morning. I miss him, but very possibly he's watching Facebook or something, maybe. So Pastor Tim, we're glad that uh, you're with us not, not in presence, but in spirit this morning, and we thank you for that. I want to share what God has laid on my heart with you, and I've got to tell you that what has happened to me in the last few years, or especially the last few months, I've been concerned about people who don't know Jesus. Now, that's been part of my life ever since I can remember, but when I read the papers or I watch what's on the news, I pay attention to what's happening in this world. I don't think in my lifetime I've ever seen a need for Jesus like there is now. You pull up on the street and sometimes you have a tendency not to want to even look to the person beside you because they may be mad at you and they may have road rage and they want to do something to you. We're just in that frame of mind to where the world is so vile and so wicked and you know... I've come to the conclusion that it's not people that just want to be bad. They just don't know what to find, and they haven't found it what they're looking for because the world doesn't have it to offer. But praise God, we've got something to offer them that can change them from a road rage maniac to a person who lifts their hands and says, Praise God, I know Jesus has rescued me. So what I want to do today is I want to talk to you about this Resurrection Sunday. And if you're in this building and you don't know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, guess what? I'm preaching directly to you. And I'm asking you to just consider your relationship in this world to Jesus Christ and to the world and see which one you like the best. And I would also say to those of you that are here, if you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, I want you to understand that there is a closer walk with Jesus than you are in right now. And I'm praying that God will speak to my heart that I will be able to share something that when you leave here today, you're not going to just say, well, we went to church, but you're going to say, praise God, I left change. Because if we come to church and we go home the same way we came, we haven't received anything. But if we come to church and we leave changed, it's going to be by Him. Now, I've sought and I've studied and I've prayed and I've asked God to give me the message, but if you'll pray this morning that God will give an anointing, it can touch your heart and your life, and I, I'm praying for that today. 
I really want to challenge you in relationship to your relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm going to be using some scripture today, not necessarily I'm going to be reading it, but I'm going to share with you from John chapter 19, verse 38 through chapter 20, verse 18. And then I'm going to go back to Genesis and refer to that as well, Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 22. So if you get home and you want to be thinking about what I've talked about, Look in John chapter 19 and Genesis chapter 3 and read that portion of Scripture and let it speak to your heart because that's what God wants to do. Now, as I said, I'm not going to read the passage, but let me give you a brief idea of what we're going this morning. Because John talks about the fact that Mary Magdalene is visiting the tomb of Jesus right after the morning break on what we call Resurrection Sunday. Genesis has to do with Adam and Eve and their fall in the garden. So you may get a drift of where I'm going this morning, but if you'll just follow with me, I appreciate that very much. Now, I ask you to pray especially prayer today because I have been really under the weather for the last week. In fact, I have uh, had very little sleep. We uh, haven't been able to uh, quit coughing a whole lot during the night, so... If I happen to break down a little bit, I got a little bit of water and I see some more up here, I may take all of it. But I want you to pray that God will give me the strength today that I'll be able to share God's Word with you. I am just thrilled to have this woman with me here today that's been with me for over 50 years. Now, I know we don't look it. Everybody says, y'all can't be married 50 years. Well, the truth is we were. But she's been with me through hiding her hair everywhere we've been. And I'm going to tell you a little secret. She is a woman of God. And I can't think of anybody I'd rather have pray for me this morning before I share this message than I'm going to ask my wife Geneva if she will to stand and pray that God will bless this message today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, amen. I want to really tell you a couple of stories this morning. One deals with two graves, and one deals with two gardens. I want you to imagine with me, if you can, back roughly 2,000 years ago, Friday has passed, Jesus has cried out with a loud voice, it is finished, he's been placed in the tomb. Sunday morning's rolled around, and here's this woman who's been with him for about three and a half years as his disciple. God had done great things for her. 
But the Bible tells us that she started off, and I can just imagine as she walked through the streets of Jerusalem, no, no street lights, no headlights, no lanterns, no nothing, no flashlights. There was only this darkness, and this woman, her name was Mary Magdalene, went walking through the streets of Jerusalem on her way to where the garden was that Jesus was buried. And I can almost imagine, again, as she was thinking about what had happened, you know, these disciples of Jesus did not anticipate Friday. They were anticipating Him being the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings and reestablishing the, the Kingdom. He was the Messiah. They believed that, but their concept of Messiah was that He was going to deliver them from Roman oppression and He was going to establish the Kingdom of God on earth. Well, He established the Kingdom of God, but it wasn't the Kingdom they thought about. So just imagine with me, if you can, what she was thinking as she walked these light, uh, dark, lonely streets in, in Jerusalem. I can hear her saying something like, if only he hadn't come to Jerusalem during all this time of trouble. If only his disciples had somehow hidden him somewhere else. If only there wasn't all this turmoil going on in the empire right now. And if only Peter had been able to fight with a sword more. If only. And she probably went through a lot of other things, if onlys. Mary is a whole lot like us because I think she was trying in her mind to do what all of us try to do at one time or another. We try to reverse the past. We go back and say, if I could change this, or I could change that. We try to go back, backwards in the story of, of our life. And more likely, that may be some that you have been going through some of this yourself in the last while, very short while. You see decisions that you made, you say, if only I could have changed that. I think some of you probably have to look back on some horrifying stories in your life. I don't know. It may be that you were just thinking about if only just a second or a tick on the clock had been a little different. Things would be different in my life. You might be saying to yourself, if only I hadn't fiddled with that, that radio in the car that moment. Or if I hadn't gone to that party that night. Or if I hadn't slipped that hotel key into the card keyhole. If I only told I loved her. If only I hadn't. If only, if only. Some of you have questions in your mind. You may have an image of something you would love to reverse or something you'd like to erase. Some of you may not have that moment yet, but just wait. It's going to happen. It will come. Because there's coming a day when all of us are going to find ourselves hearing some whirling of some uh, machines around us, or the beeping of monitors, or the pulling of ventilators, or maybe the rustling of cords. All of us will experience what we cannot imagine now. There's coming a time when life is going to end, and we're going to face that, and that what we see at that moment is how we're facing eternity. Now, I've told that right before person dies, I don't know whether, how they find this out, but it's been said that before a person dies, their whole life flashes right in their, before their eyes. I don't know if that's true, but I know it is. If it is, this is why, because we're asking, could I somehow turn it back? Could I reverse the course of my story? Every human being asks that question because our little story or my little story has a much longer, older, bigger, deeper story telling us why things aren't just like they are. 
Now, if we look in Genesis chapter 3, there's a story of something that wrecked all of mankind. You know the story, Adam and Eve. Something that went wrong in that garden so long ago. Some reason that Jesus had to come. A wreck that is repeated over and over and over in our lives because the sin they committed was handed down to us and we face that. But I will remind you that in this garden that Mary's entering into, she thinks that she's really just facing a personal crisis. But the scripture tells us that what she's facing there isn't a personal crisis. It actually is facing an ancient curse that went all the way back to the garden. Now as this woman stands in the garden, what she sees is not just a happy ending to a story she has been planned out to herself, but what she actually sees is God reversing the whole story of the universe. What happened in Eden is now God is changing and reversing that completely. So I want to call all of us to this garden that Mary's at. Now I want you to notice, first of all, there's some things that happen. And the first thing I want you to visualize is that God is reversing the story of corruption. Now when I say corruption, we know that we're all born created with evil in us. There's an Adamic nature that is there. So when we talk about corruption, we understand that Adam and Eve failed God and therefore corruption came. So scripture tells us that Mary goes into this garden and it's also a grave place. Now the scripture says that Jesus, after he was crucified, was taken down off of the cross. And since no one wanted to haul his body a long way, they laid him in a tomb, in a buried tomb of a rich man there in this garden that Mary's finding herself in. Now we tend to understand, misunderstand this because when we think of people coming through a garden like this or a grave site or a grave garden, we see those guys with the weed eaters and we see the, the pretty flowers and we see all that kind of stuff around us. That's not the case here because what Mary was finding herself in, it was a working garden. I was amazed when I found out that in the garden that she found herself in, it's very possible that they were growing vegetables there. It might have been growing some grapes or something. But Mary is walking into this garden, and she sees that something has happened there. And our first thought was, somebody has stolen the body of Jesus. She thought a grave robbing was taking place. Slowly, she walks up to the tomb. She sees that the stone's been rolled away. And she looks in, and she sees some grave clothes where that body had been laid. She would have seen the images there of corruption because what she saw was what Jesus was wrapped in, what it was covered in, so that would be corruption as far as she concerned. And she wanted to know, if they've robbed this grave, where have they taken Jesus? Now for someone to come in and rob the grave, she believed that someone had taken the body of this man whom she had believed his words for three and a half years. This man that she said, I have left all to follow, and his dead body has now been taken. But praise God, Mary was wrong. Because you see, the text tells us that after Mary experiences this, she goes back to the disciples and she speaks and she says to the disciples, who were hidden away, somebody has taken the body of Jesus. So when she says this, Peter and John jump up and run all the way to the tomb. They go into the graveside and they see what has happened for themselves. 
But the Bible says that they leave the garden and they go back to the other disciples. Mary stays in the garden. And the Bible tells us that she looks and sees angels sitting there in the grave that point her outward into the garden. Outward into the garden. Mary seeing, although she can't understand what is happening. Well, you see, God is taking that path that you and I are on toward corruption, and He's reversing that. For Adam and Eve went from the garden into the grave. Mary is leaving from the grave, going into the garden. So you see a reversal here of what God is doing. The Bible tells us that at the beginning point of history in that other garden, when the woman ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and she went to her husband, and he also ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that's when a curse fell upon the universe in which their bodies were turned into dust, in which the world that they had lived in is full of thorns and thistles. But in this kind of situation, we see a reversal of that. What the gospel of the resurrection tells us is that Jesus took that curse that started off in the Garden of Eden, He took it upon Himself. And when God pronounced the curse to Adam and Eve, He talked about thorns and thistles that they would have to work on. In this kind of situation, Jesus took that crown of thorns that was placed upon His head, and they were crushed down on that head. So we see a real tremendous uh, comparison here of reversal of what God's doing. But you see, Jesus as the king of the universe, taken down off that cross, purple, I'm sure, and bloated and drowning in his own blood with water pouring out his side where the spears pierced it. He went into that grave as a dead body. He was a, a corpse. And he was under the bondage of corruption and decay on Friday. So what Mary did, she brought some spices. She was bringing some embalming stuff to try to keep him preserved just a little while longer. But she doesn't find him in that grave. She doesn't find the corruption of that first garden there. The corruption is gone. Instead, she finds angels. Just as angels have been present from the very beginning, in the very first story, the angel was there outside the garden with a flaming sword because God said, I do not want my children who have turned themselves corrupt to eat of the tree of life and to live that way forever and ever without any kind of hope. The angel speaks to the woman and says to the woman, go out into the garden. So what does the angel do? He points her out of the grave. See that song we sang a few moments ago? Running out of the grave? That was Mary. Because she went out of that grave. As she runs out of that hole in the ground, she runs into what she thinks is a stranger. So I want you to notice here that in this garden, God changed or reversed corruption, but He also did something else. God reverses the story of alienation. Now let's talk about that for a moment. Mary is standing there in verse 11 outside the grave. She thinks that she's alone in the garden and she's sobbing and she's crying. She thinks that her whole world has come to an end when somebody speaks to her and says, Why are you crying? Why are you upset? What's wrong? The Bible tells us that she thought that this was a hired worker who was there tilling the ground in the garden and she turns and she stops and looks at him and she sobs to him. But you see, she doesn't know who she's talking to until he speaks her name. 
part of what has happened to all of us is that when sin comes into our life, it alienates us from one another, but it also alienates us from God. For you see, God only can see us through Jesus Christ because He can't look upon sin. That's what happens when we're brought in this world. So sin alienates us from God, but here we find a situation to where Jesus is speaking to Mary. Now the story is told that in the very beginning when the woman ate of the fruit of the, and the man ate of the fruit, suddenly they realized they were naked and they started hiding from each other. Not only did they hide from each other, they understood that their community with each other was broken and never be the same again. And the Bible tells us that in the cool of the day, God went walking in the garden. He was right in the very midst of, all, of those two human beings. So when he came that day, after sin had entered the picture, after death had entered the world, Scripture says that man and woman were hiding from God. You know what that means? They were alienated from God. They were hiding in the garden. So when, that's when he calls their names. He said, Adam, where are you? Eve, where are you? They shrink back. They don't want to see him. But in this garden that Mary's in, something is a little different. Jesus looked at her and he calls her by name, Mary. She'd heard that before, so it was distinct in her mind. She knew exactly who it was. And so immediately she reached out to grab him and began to start crying. And the same way that I think all of us would be if we found some good news of someone that we loved had gone through something and we thought something tragic had happened. We want to grab them and say, I'm so glad that you're all right. That's what Mary tried to do. So she starts to grab hold of Jesus. But you know what Jesus says? He looks at her and he says, Mary, I think this is one of some of the most fascinating words that I could ever hear him say. Jesus said, Mary, go to my brothers. Now, who are these brothers he's talking about? These are 12 guys or 11 guys that's in an upper room somewhere, hidden away because they were afraid of what would happen to them as well, scared to death for their lives. Some of them had, all, actually all of them had betrayed Jesus. Peter had been, for three times, had denied the Lord. But here, Jesus refers to them as his brothers. He says, Mary, go to my brothers. So what happens? Jesus walked into her story, and he walked into our story, mine and yours. And the kind of sin and fear that keeps us hiding from one another and hiding from God. Jesus walks right out, and he turns all that fear away. He reverses it. So he reverses that alienation. And I want you to also understand that Jesus reverses the condemnation. Listen to what Jesus said. When Mary grabs hold of him, she says, Lord, I'm so glad you're okay. Oh, teacher, I'm so glad that you're here. I saw them crucify you. I saw the nails. I saw the drowning that you had of your own blood. I saw all that. But Jesus says, don't touch me, Mary. I have not ascended yet to my father. Now, why does Jesus say this? I've often wondered that. But I've come to a conclusion because Jesus is not like you and me. Where Adam and Eve wanted to hide from the presence of God, Jesus wanted to be in the presence of His Father. You see, there was no blackmail against Jesus who had perfectly kept all the law. When He said, it is finished, hallelujah, it had all been done. And He could stand before the Father 
said, I've done all that you gave me to do. There was no break in the fellowship of Jesus and his Father. For Jesus said, not only am I not hiding in the business, Jesus said, I'm walking right into the very presence of God my Father. Now the Bible only says that the one who can ascend on high is the one who can stand before God with a clean hands and a pure heart. And God will show you that there are people by opening up the graves one of these days when people are going to rise to meet the Lord in the air because they have clean hands and a pure heart. Well, on this particular Sunday morning before dawn, they sing a song sometimes, the road is called up yonder. Well, on that morning when the road was called up yonder, Jesus was there. Hallelujah. Only one human being was able to walk away from condemnation, walk away from the rule of death, and walk into the presence of his Father. Now, I realize that all of us in this room, we've been under the sentence of condemnation. I was. Ron had mentioned the fact that at 12 years old, I'd already accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and one of the greatest thrills of my life was to be able to help her father pray through the baptism of the Spirit. But I understand that I was born under condemnation, and I remember how condemned I felt when I was eight years old, when Jesus spoke to my heart in a revival over there in Greer, I remember exactly where I was sitting, and I don't remember, I remember the, I think the evangelist was Winky Malthus of all names, can you imagine that? I don't remember what he preached about. I can't tell you what the sermon's about. But I know this, that as the Word of God went forth, it pricked my heart, and I felt like I had to confess something before the Lord. Now, I hadn't done a lot of bad sins, eight years old, you know, what's the worst thing you could do? Steal a piece of candy or something? But, you know, I remember that night. When the Spirit of God came down, a condemnation just gripped my heart. I couldn't wait for the altar to be called to be given and me walk up there and accepted Lord as my Savior. Yes, we're all, every one of us, we're all born under condemnation. And we live with that every day of our life until we come to know Jesus. Now, some of you here this morning may be living in that condemnation. Like Adam and Eve, you may be trying to hide from God. But just as the first man and the first woman slowed their breathing down, they steal their emotions down, hoping that God will not recognize them behind those leaves. Some of you may be doing that right now, but it's, it's not behind the leaves and the bushes that you're trying to go, but it's behind the world that God has created you in. You see what's happening around you, and we have this tendency to want to be like everybody else. You know, there's something about us, and... We see this person not accepting the Lord. We don't. We think maybe it's not what I need to do. But we're hiding, hiding from something. It's behind the life that God has given you is where we're hiding. And you're living that life as though God does not notice the rebellion that's in your heart. As long as you don't acknowledge God, you think you're okay. As long as you don't acknowledge that God is there, Fine and dandy, but the painful truth is, folks, that if you are in condemnation under sin, you are guilty, and you know you're guilty. And there are beings that, of course, will confuse, uh, accuse you. They will call you out of hiding, and they will point to you on the day of judgment, and they will say all these things are true. And the sad thing is you know that they're true. But I've got good news for you today. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus has already stood in that condemnation. 
And Jesus has already taken all that damnation upon himself and every bit of hell that you deserve and every bit of hell that I deserve. Hallelujah. And Jesus so completely absorbed all of that that he's able to walk out of that grave and say, I am ascending to my Father. I am not afraid to be in his presence. Hallelujah. And the great news is that Jesus is not ashamed of any of us. He says, go and tell my brothers that I'm ascending to my Father and your God and my God. Now, some of you in this room may still be under condemnation. Some of you in this room may not be able to associate with this ministry woman who was facing what she was facing in this garden. When you trust Jesus with and you, when you confess that with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, and when you believe with your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, the reason that God calls us to, that, to believe that is not because something is unbelievable and He wants to test our faith. It's because when I believe that, I'm confessing I don't deserve to live, but it's because of Jesus, because of Him. Only He deserves to be alive in the, in the presence of the Father. The only hope that I have before God is that Jesus shed his blood for me and that God raised Jesus from the dead. So the reason that we're brothers and sisters of Jesus is not because we get our lives cleaned up. It's not because everything is turned around on our lives, but it's because we're asking God to count his death, Jesus' death, as our death. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live for the life that I now live. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Only he deserves to be alive and in the presence of the Father. The only hope that I have before God is that Jesus shed his blood for me and that God raised him from the dead. So the reason that we're brothers and sisters and not because he cleaned all this up, no. It's because Jesus died for us and we see his death as our death. When we're asking the Father to count his resurrection as our resurrection, we look and we see him and we say, I want to follow him even through death and out, all the way out the other side. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me in the path of righteousness. He takes me all the way through the valley of death, not, not into it, but all the way through it. And that's what Jesus would do. Because the Lord wants to have mercy upon every one of us. Any one of you who understands and knows and agrees that God is right about what He says is pitiful in your life, any one of you can cry out where you are in the silence of your own mind and heart, say, Lord, let me share in the death of Jesus. Lord, let me share in the life of Jesus. And guess what? He will hear you. So praise God. He will also... Not only just uh, reverse the, the curse of condemnation or, or, or of, uh, uh, of uh, alienation, but he will also reverse the, the idea of condemnation of us. Praise God. And then I want you to finally notice that he reverses the idea and the story of deception. Jesus speaks to Mary. And what's really significant in this garden is that he's speaking to a woman. Very unusual in a man's world. Scripture tells us that in the beginning of the story, the serpent came to the woman and he deceived her. The story also tells us that this woman used the relationship that she had 
develop with her husband in order to speak to him, to say to him, I want you to join me in this rebellion that I'm going through. God says, you listen to the serpent and you listen to the voice of a woman of both of you, all of you, and you're both deceived. But let's go back to this other garden. Let's go back and notice what happened in Mary's garden. Praise God, the woman is not deceived this time. Jesus shows himself to her. All the lies that had been told her, Jesus turned those things away and Jesus shows her the truth and then sends her to tell the truth. The word of God is like that. But Mary wasn't the only one who had been in the garden. Let me tell you somebody else was there. The Bible tells us that there were soldiers who pulled the spikes out of Jesus' body, his hands and his feet. There were soldiers who went home and washed the blood of Jesus of Nazareth out from under their fingernails after they'd done that. They washed their, the water that had splattered out of his abdomen and their faces and washed it away. These soldiers went and had supper and played with their children and grandchildren before going to bed. Scripture tells us that these soldiers who were guarding the tomb, when they saw the body come out of the grave, they took a significant amount of money to say it all was made up. Now, I've always wondered what was the significant amount of money that you betray the Lord. But the issue is that part of what the serpent holds us with right now is by blinding our minds and what is true, to what is true and right in very front of us. And some of you will be able to hear the proclamation of crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. You'll still be able to walk right out of these doors thinking about anything else that happened. How often does it happen? How many times have you been to church? How many, of you heard, how many times have you heard the gospel, but somehow it just goes right over the head or you bypass it and you walk out the doors the same way you walked in? But listen to me. Don't make that mistake today. If you walked in these doors and you know Jesus and you're condemned and, and you're alienated from God, today is the day of salvation. Maybe you can tell yourself something really did take the body. Convince yourself that all the truth that you've heard all these years about Jesus is not true. But folks, listen to me. It is true. What you've heard about Jesus, His death and His resurrection and His ascension on high, it's the truth. You can rest assured of the truth that's there. You might even think maybe there never was a resurrection of the dead. Maybe, just maybe, all these cringing, fearful followers who were willing before the crucifixion to deny him and deny and, and to hide would somehow be willing to go all the way to the point of having the throat cut. Do you realize that here are 12 men who had just forsaken the Lord and turned their backs on him? Once Jesus' resurrection happened and they saw Jesus, you know what happened to every one of them? They all died martyrs' deaths. Peter was said it was executed upside down. The Apostle Paul, who was later an apostle of the Lord, probably had his head cut off. The Apostle John was put in boiling oil and put on an island of Patmos to be by himself. Others, their whole lives ago. Now, let me ask you a question. If it was all false, if it were not true, why would they go through all the pain and the agony and die a martyr's death for a lie? No, it wasn't a lie. It was a truth. Jesus had resurrected from the dead. Maybe you can say to yourself, well, maybe that's the case. 
but deep in your heart of hearts. You know that the awful truth that if Jesus had been raised from the dead, then you're going to have to stand before him one of these days before judgment. And none of us like that. I've never seen any person that's got caught up with that laughed and had a good time with it. They may laugh, but they don't mean it. Nobody likes to stand in judgment. But if we reject Jesus, and we reject Him today as our Lord and Savior, then there's coming a judgment day, and we're going to give an account for the decision we make. And it could be April the 9th, 2023, that brings you back to this remembrance that you rejected Jesus one more time. Now let me conclude this by saying, the good news is that this same resurrected Christ is willing to stand in for you in the presence of His Father. We have an advocate with the Father, which is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As the Father looks down and sees sin upon us, and He can't look at it, Jesus says, Father, don't see their sin. Look through me, because when you look through me, you know that I was perfect in your sight. And I died on the cross that I might give my life to take away their sin. So while, Father, instead of looking at them, look at me and re receive them today because of what price I paid. Because I want to tell you something, praise God. Jesus is reversing the story that all of us want to live. Where we were condemned to death, Jesus is reversing that. And He said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Yes, Jesus reversed that big story of Adam, but he also reversed Mary's story as well. But let me remind you of the kind of person that Mary was. She's not the kind of person that we want to set up in, in church and say, oh, now here's a great woman. Remember, when Jesus first found Mary, you know who he found? He found a woman that had seven devils, and he had to cast those devils out of her. Now, if Mary walked through those doors today and took a seat right over here by this young man, we would probably look at her if she was the way that she was when Jesus first saw her. We would probably look at her and say, I'm scared to death of that woman. She's full of the devil. But you notice what Jesus did? Jesus took that life that was involved in the occult, that woman who had lived a horrible, hard life, and Jesus went to that kind of woman and to that kind of congregation of that woman, and set her free because, you know what? Jesus knew her, yet He loved her. Jesus redeemed her, and Jesus chose her to take that story to the disciples. He said, go and tell my brothers. And Mary went back and told them. She told the disciples. They told somebody else. Then those somebody else told somebody else. Those somebody else told somebody else. And those turned around told somebody else until it finally got down to us where somebody told me. And here I am today telling you that Jesus Christ loves you. He died for you. And He don't mean bad for you. He wants to give you life. And He give it to you more abundantly. So what Jesus did, He, he used this former demonized, occultic, hopeless woman to save the world through the message of the gospel. So yes, Jesus reversed the story of deception. Where the devil likes to deceive, he's come to kill, steal, and destroy. Praise God, Jesus came to bring life. 
The sad thing is, I'm afraid that maybe this morning, right now, some of you may still be under that curse. But there's, I'm sure, a thousand different stories in this room, but honestly, it boils down to really where there's only two. Those two stories are this. One walks from a garden into a grave, Adam and Eve. And one walks from a grave into a garden. That's Mary Magdalene. Some of you can leave and you can go home and eat and you can say to yourself, it's nothing. But if you do, keep in mind whose voice you're hearing. Others of you will hear him and he's calling you by name. It doesn't matter how awful the story is that you've written for yourself. You could go to the Lord and say, Lord, remember what I did so and so? He says, mm, I threw that as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. He doesn't see you except in the life that you're now living. Praise God for that. It doesn't matter how terrible the story is that you've enacted in yourself. Jesus can reverse your story. He can turn it back. He can conform you to Christ and can give you the life through the blood that He shed for you. But there's one stipulation. You've got to hear it. You've got to listen to it. And you've got to respond to it. That's what's going to have to happen. You must listen to it because you can't claw out of the grave by yourself. It takes Christ to bring you out. And to get you that garden, He's got to call you out. I want to ask you to stand with me, if you would, please, all over.